What's it been like raising me, Mom? Whew, you have a couple of months? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a scotch? Uh, you've, you've been an interesting one because you've developed into the most amazing Go daughter on. I could ever expect. <laughs> Pull up a seat to the table. You are listening to the Luminary Leadership Podcast, where we elevate successful entrepreneurs into powerful leaders doing work that really matters. After working with countless entrepreneurs, I've noticed a theme. No matter the level of success achieved, they get to this place where they're asking, now what? If you're listening to this, you get it. You're craving more impact. You want to do work that means something, and you want to be known for it, too. Somewhere along the way, it wasn't just about growing a business anymore. It became time to build your legacy. Plus, building the dream at the expense of everything else that matters, family, freedom, joy, is no dream at all. The Luminary Leadership Podcast is where industry leaders come to break through to their next level of achievement, purpose, and impact. I'm your host, Elizabeth Hartke, and I'm here to raise up this generation of leaders, us, so we can do our part in raising up the next generation of little luminaries. Get ready as we break down all things entrepreneurial leadership in a way that isn't being talked about. We both know you don't just need another strategy. It's time for your breakthrough. Well, you are listening to literally the most important interview I will ever do. I've never been more honored to sit across from someone in an interview, and I've never had a more full circle moment of gratitude than I had today in conducting this conversation because today I got to interview my mama. So before you think that this was some, you know, random interview with my mom, let me paint a picture for you of the business mogul my mother is. Keep in mind, I had to dig these accolades from different places because never in a million years would she willingly share her accomplishments. I went 30 plus years of my life before I fully grasped how incredibly successful and incredible and amazing my mother really is in the business realm of things. She has humility beyond measure. So here we go. She's a CPA and owner of a tax and consulting practice. She's chairman of the board of the Salem Cooperative Bank, advisors board of Cedars Home for the Elderly. You're going to see a lot of different ways that my mother does nonprofit and pro bono work. She served as a board member for the New Hampshire Center for Nonprofits, served as the president of the New Hampshire Society of CPAs, chairman of various committees on the bank board. And I have to make sure that when she hears this episode, I fast forward through the intro because she'll be mad at me for actually sharing all those things. And that's just a small subset of things she's done over the years. I've personally witnessed things that are hard to put into a title, but have changed the lives of so many people completely outside of her skill set and her business of being a CPA, caring for the elderly personally, uh, end-of-life care, helping people through impossible transitions in their world. My mom's the type of person that would go get gas and somehow strike up a conversation with someone in the gas station and end up you know, personally mentoring them through a hardship or a heartbreak. That's my mother in a nutshell. So I wasn't exactly sure what direction we'd go in in our chat, but I'm not really sure why I was surprised to have recorded the perfect episode for all entrepreneurs on business ethics, integrity, having humility, being generous, lifting up the underdog in all things, and being a present parent in the process. This is the wisdom episode. So buckle up, you guys. I bring you the Nadima Gemmel, my mama. 
All right, mother. I'm ready, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Don't start me laughing. I know. Okay. Welcome to the show, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> is this Good your to fir- see you, Liz. Yeah, is this your first podcast? Yes, it is. Are you nervous? No, I'm not. Okay, we'll make sure we get you nice and nervous. Yes. Okay, so we're going to start by making you painfully uncomfortable. Okay, how would you like to do that? Give me your rap sheet, like all your accolades. Oh, dear, I don't <laughs> have any. You're my accolade, Douglas yeah. is my accolade. Okay. You're going to do this part. Yes. Okay, just tell us, what do you do? I'm a CPA. Mm-hmm. I'm the chairman of the board of a small community cooperative bank in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. I'm mother of two. Yeah. Wonderful adults. Yes. <laughs> Grandmother of three. And um, I've had a lot of history. Yeah. 43 years in business. Running your own business. Running my own business Mm -hmm. and part accountant, part psychologist, I would say. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Okay. Famous line of my mother is that she's a psychologist in a CPA's body. Okay, so so much of what I've learned in business over the years and life over the years and motherhood has been thanks to you, so it made sense that I would impressive (laughs) twist your arm into coming on the show because this isn't something you typically do no i'm gonna squeeze all the golden nuggets out of you for our audience so let's start with talking a little bit more about just your evolution of business so when did you first break into business and were you always your own practice you know what did that look like well i probably first broke into business when i was about eight or ten years old, and used to listen to my father come home and talk to my mother about the economic situation at the time and his clients in general, Mm -hmm. not specific, and how he would build this one, wouldn't build that one, what the economic times were doing to people. And so over the years, watching him, I grew to create sort of my own little work ethic. Mm -hmm. And then when I graduated from Bentley, I moved out to Colorado because I had lived out there prior and loved it Mm -hmm. and worked for the city and county of Denver as an accountant and then two accounting firms and came to realize that ethics were probably the most important thing in business. And uh, I watched the ethics of one firm be all about money and not about the clients. And then I watched the ethics of the next firm I was with be about money, but also putting clients first. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I decided to start my own business. So let's go back to your dad, my yep. grandfather, who I always called Jiddo. So if you guys hear me refer to him as Jiddo, that's who I'm talking about. Talk more about what he did and his law practice and what you personally witnessed with how he was doing it differently than other maybe lawyers. some other people were doing it. Right. Um, he always ruled with his hat. He was very bright. 
and always extremely prepared, which I would say his his quick mind, his logic, and his being very prepared for every situation was in great part his claim to fame. Growing up, there were two two lawyers in town that were considered the best, and they couldn't have been more different uh, or, or would get the best results. There was my father, and there was this other lawyer that had limos drive him around and lived in a mansion, and it was all about money. It was show. All show, mm-hmm. and, and you know, his retainer would be $50,000 back then to do anything where he knew he could yield results. And then there was my dad, who was all about people and clients and helping people. So I watched him through the years put what he was going to do to help clients ahead of how he could benefit from a particular situation with a particular client. Right. And it created an ethic. Mm-hmm. In actually, in my whole family, yeah, because of the seven children, uh, I would say five are in the self-employed mode, and we all are part social worker, part whatever our profession is. Right. I think one of the big things that I witnessed Ditto do in working in his office in the summers or after school in high school, because I, I went to high school down the street from where his office was in the inner city in a very poor area, was how often he would give of his time and his gifts and not be charging people for that or oh. doing a lot of work pro bono. And I think that's a risk when you have seven kids, all of whom ended up in higher education and going through school, which wasn't always the most common thing back then. Way, way back when way, you were way younger. Back. <laughs> but just, I remember thinking in the beginning, as I was just doing secretarial work for him, like, okay, are we going to bill this person? Or, you know, this person wasn't on the schedule, but they're coming in and they're sitting down in your office. And it, it was never a thought for him. And he always had great joy in doing that. But I also think there was a level of faith in him that uh, I see in all of you guys that God will provide. Like, it will come back in spades when you give, you end up with a level of abundance that you can't account for by billing people a certain amount per hour. Jiddo's phrase for that was, you give with your right hand, you get in your left hand. Mm -hmm. And it was very true. Yeah. I, I remember... When I first took over his, when I moved back here from Colorado and first took over his books, I kept seeing these payments to people, and they would all say loans, but over the year, I would never see a penny paid back. And I I said, Dad, what are you doing? What are all these loans to people? And they were all minorities in the area, and he was very big on helping minorities get ahead. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I'm trying to get help them with a start. And I said, but if they're loans, why aren't they paying them back? He says, oh, no, I, I don't tell them their loans. I give them the money. I put loans in my checkbook so that they don't have to pick it up as income. 
and they probably had no income or might have even been on social services trying to to break off of social services. And one of his causes, which was definitely a high priority throughout his whole life, was helping people get ahead. And I remember saying to him, Dad, you're probably the laughingstock. These guys go to their friends and say, oh, just go to that lawyer down the street. He'll write you a check for $500. And his answer to me was, if one person gets ahead and 99 people take advantage of me, I have no regrets. It was worth what I did. I didn't necessarily agree with him, but then I sort of started following his footsteps. I know, and I've witnessed you do that countless times over the years. And I think I took for granted before getting into any business, when I worked in corporate for a little bit and then doing my own thing, I think I had taken for granted that that was my example. So I thought everybody did business that way. And it led to a great amount of disappointment right. when you are witnessing the people that you're that are supposed to be mentors or the people that you're looking up to or that are training you that don't have that little level of integrity or ethics or kindness. And it is all about the dollar or it's about taking advantage of people even worse. And it was kind of a wake up call for me when I first got into business of this you know, because I also saw that no one, like Jido, you, it wasn't like anyone was wealthy. Like no one had like all the things, but everybody had everything they needed, you know, and they were able to take care of others and put kids through school and things that were important, but it wasn't ever anything flashy or, uh, you know, we were blessed, but it wasn't what you often see when people are lawyers or successful in business right. all these years or whatever. So there was this period in the beginning where I was like, man, which one do I want? And anytime I tried, because there were times where I tried to say, oh, well, I can charge this much and I can get this much and I made it about me. The money might come, but it was fleeting because it felt so out of alignment with who I was at the core that I couldn't keep going that way. I'm learning how to take that, the ethics and the integrity and humility and all that stuff, that generosity that you guys instilled in us, and couple it with some (laughs) modern business strategy to help people be able to serve others first, but still gain freedom in their own lives for their own families too. So it's not, you know, it's still in alignment with values, but it's also not you know, Jiddo worked till he died, basically, because that was kind of right. how he set himself up. He died rich in family, rich in faith, mm-hmm. and not rich in terms of wealth, because right. that's, and I agree with you. I think what I hope the next generation takes away from us is a sense of doing all the 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 selfless things that you saw your aunts and uncles and and uh, grandfather and grandmother do, but putting family first in terms of setting yourself up so that you don't have to work till you drop. Right. And um, I I think, you know, each generation might get a little better at it. But I have to say of my siblings that are – 
serving people as priests, chiropractor, lawyer, doctor, my, all the doc, yeah, all the different professions. We all, I don't think any of us have have regrets in terms of how we've brought our lives forward. Right. And I, I think my oldest brother, who was in practice with my dad, he probably gave 30 or 40% of his time in a pro bono manner. And when you hear him talk now, that's the highlight of his life. And that's what he glows over, mm -hmm. knowing that he put community as a high priority in his life. And he has changed community mm -hmm. and he has helped so many minorities and he's had, he really has made his mark. Right. And it's all because of that passion. Yeah. It's so cool to see, you know, Ditto's not with us, but he's with us because of how everybody is willing to, not even willing. It's so innate. I feel like in, in you guys, it's so innate. You were so just the way that, Nana and Jido brought you up in those ways. It wasn't just in business. It was around their dinner table, too. I mean, there was, we come from a family where everybody's getting together every Sunday and there's family meals and we're constantly breaking bread with people of every walk of life and taking people in. And, but it was never like a thing. It wasn't like a discussion where it's like, okay, we're going to give back to this person. It was right. just a way of life. Yeah, a way of life. Our home is your home. Come in, experience. Let's do life together. And that was such a gift for all of us. And now it's, I feel like it's up to our generation to figure out we're a few removed from that. And my kids never got to meet Jiddo. They got to meet Nana, thankfully. But how can we take those values and those ethics and keep them alive enough that it's not some lesson we're teaching them, but it's just how we live? Like, it has to be in integrity. Because if, if Jiddo was one way in his law office, but he came home and he treated his family like garbage, it would be out of integrity. It wouldn't be how he was living. It was how he was doing business. But right. it was woven into the fabric of who he was. So it just was what you saw was what you got. In all things. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think keeping Christ as the core, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you have your faith and and Christ as the center of your life, then you'll always be centered because mm -hmm. he'll always be there. And no matter what throws you off, you still have your moral compass and you always know where north is. Right. What advice would you give to people in entrepreneurship or business that are listening to this and saying, okay, I really resonate with this message and the work I have been doing has felt a little out of alignment. Like I focused more on the next thing I'm going to sell and how much I'm going to charge and how I'm going to get ahead and how I'm going to be seen in the media and whatever. But I am hearing this and I'm realizing this is what I want. How can they start to prioritize this and make is it a shift is it just show up differently like what is it they need to hear to know that it's they can still come back to those roots and make an impact like they could have never planned for or imagined for if they put ethics and integrity and yeah. generosity first yeah i think you have to let your conscience be your guide and never try to smother your conscience mm -hmm. You have to be true to yourself. 
and you you have to do business in a smart way. So you really want to work hard, but more importantly, work smart mm-hmm. and never lose sight of who you are and and what your goals are. I Jiddo used to always say, keep your eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. And I think what that prize is, is, is very important. So and when you develop your strategy, you have to determine what is the prize. Is the prize just making money? Is the prize making money and affecting people along the way? Is the prize touching as many lives as you can and changing as many lives as you can? And I think everything you do has to be rooted in love mm-hmm. and not not selfishness. Right. Yeah, you have to be a selfless person. Okay, speaking of the prize, knowing that Jiddo's prize was family and probably the pinnacle of that family being his wife, Nana. Mm-hmm. She was home raising seven children, but she was, I think, from my perspective, a massive role in the way things played out in Jiddo's business Absolutely. and in their world. So what what takeaways do you have from Nana in business, even though she wasn't teaching you business? Like what what lessons, principles, morals, whatever values that Nana instilled in you guys over the years that wasn't like, hey, we're talking business, but you've taken it into your business. Nana was a great listener. A bomb could go off in a room, and she could be talking to somebody, listening to some issue they had in their life, and her eye contact never changed. Mm -hmm. She just had a lot of respect for people. And she put the whoever she was dealing with made them the most important person in the room mm-hmm. or really in the world. That was the sense you got from her. Yeah. And I think doing that, and she was very loyal to family. She was a driving force in, in Jiddo's life. I think she was his moral compass. And I think in a, in a relationship, when one person is in business or both people are in business, being each other's moral compass is a huge, a huge asset. Yeah. And Nona was one that taught by example. She also knocked you over the head if you were doing something that she felt was not in your best interest long term in terms of your moral integrity. Didn't yeah. really knock you in the head, but probably ultimately, wanted to. right? Ultimately, <laughs> knocked probably, some sense into your head. Probably deserved it. <laughs> um, I think a big takeaway for me was her tough mental toughness, definitely, and willingness—not just willingness, uh, bent towards sacrifice. Yeah, those are two. Like when I think of just all of my millions of experiences with her over my life, you know, situations where she was probably in level 10 pain with something and you would never even see it on her face or um, ways she actually created her own pain for the sacrifice of other people to, Mm -hmm. to do things for others. And just, I just remember 
on repeat her telling us to offer it up for somebody else. You know, when you're going through something really hard yourself, that's an opportunity to think of someone else who's struggling and to pray for them and to give to them and to lift them up in your own suffering. And and that draws you out of your own suffering when you are putting out your hand for somebody else. Yeah, definitely. And she typically would want you to offer it up for somebody else and not necessarily somebody you knew. Yeah, or someone you liked. Right, right. Mm-hmm. She was very, um, very much a person that put sacrifice ahead of comfort. Yeah. And she, so many things she gave up in her life mm-hmm. for different situations or different people or, you know, just kind of being committed Mm-hmm. And and I think that was very much something we all look up, looked up to, and still look up to. Yeah, I think so too. So I want to talk about raising kids and a business at the same time because I'm currently neck deep in that, as mm-hmm. you've witnessed. And I reference you a lot because you're kind of a freak, ma. Like in and the why sense is that? <laughs> that somehow you are running your own business with a lot of clients including like there's an aspect of your business that you won't talk about. So I will embarrass you where you have elderly clients where you're like literally acting as their children, like going to visit them because they're in a nursing home alone or taking care of some of their health needs or just going so far above and beyond where you're not even in the same stratosphere anymore of being a CPA. Right. So you're doing all that. I remember going to, you know, different people's <laughs> homes who were shut-ins or elderly when I was a little girl with you, not because you were doing their taxes, but because you thought maybe on a Saturday they could use a visit. And that just is a testament to so many of these values that we've been talking about. But in addition to doing that and supporting us, and then, you know, I remember towards the end of the school year when it's a bajillion degrees in the classroom, you're coming in with popsicles or you're carting us around with like all my friends in the back seat taking us places or coming to our games or making dinner, being the one to put us in bed at night. What gives? You got a twin I don't know about? You caught me. <laughs> <laughs> or triplets? Is it? It's like, what the hell? I'm sitting here with my three kids. I, both Michael and I are working from home. You were working out of the home in your own office. We have help. <laughs> it's a it's a good day when we all survive the day. Yeah, well, first of all, I had two kids seven years apart, so sure. that's slightly different than your 6'4'2". Yeah. And after many years, Dad learned to cook, which was a helpful thing. Yeah. And I don't uh, know. I really enjoyed his microwave nachos all those years. Yeah, those were good, too, but <laughs> I think his... His Bitman cooking yes. kicked in, and you and Bubba appreciated that True, quite a bit. But uh, you know what? I just think you have to just let inertia move you forward, and you can't overthink anything. You mm-hmm. just have to do, be, first of all, be willing to be very flexible. I think probably one of my strengths is being able to think on my feet being flexible, multitasking, and not being sedentary in terms of what should be. Right. 
So I just always was willing to be flexible, which I think I did get from my parents. I think they were both that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, God bless me. I never, I never worried about money, even if I didn't have the money in the bank at the time to pay payroll at the end of the week. I never anguished about it. I never worried about tomorrow. I just lived in today and did the best I could and, you know, always kept my faith. And and in doing that, you just somehow, there's an inertia that just happens. Yeah. And I think God always provides, at least in my life, he did. Yeah. So going back to the fact that you were always present with us and add everything, I do have memories, though, of bringing in that sacrifice we talked about. Your prize was being present, having family, you know, raising well-adjusted kids that you could be a part of their lives, even if you were working Mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, So that meant if you're going to be in my classroom at noon and you're going to be picking me up at three and then you're going to take me to basketball at four and then you're going to cook dinner at six and you're going to put me to bed at eight, work had to get done at some time. Yeah, very good. So (laughs) I have memories being a little kid of you putting us to bed. And this was probably more during tax season two where it was like significantly busier. But coming out to go use the bathroom as a little kid or go get a drink of water and midnight you sitting at the dining room table with all your stuff on the table getting the last last of the work done. Right. So you had that time flexibility as an entrepreneur where you could say, okay, I'm going to work at midnight instead of working at noon because I can be with my kid at noon. But what I'm trying to do is take people from that time flexibility, which is wonderful, into time freedom. And there's... There wasn't as much opportunity to do this when you were working because the internet has really changed our ability to bring our gifts online and serve people outside of the traditional models. Do you ever wish you had more time freedom, like where you didn't have to log the, you know, burn the midnight oil or? I, you know, I never thought about it then. And I'm, I'm not one to think back and dwell. I think. I did have a certain amount of time freedom because between my mother and my sister and, you had and a village. grandma, and, yeah, you know, as a family at large, we made it work. Right. But back to your question, uh, yeah, I mean, I tried to have a lot of efficiencies in my office. And I think if you went in and saw how the office worked, in terms of flow of of clients and client information. And uh, you'd see that having an excellent staff, having people around you that think the way you think and are willing to be very committed and having a lot of support, you just, you know, inertia moves you forward. I'm just having a light bulb moment of looking at you, Jiddo, your siblings who run their own businesses, the level of loyalty that your employees have had to each of you is like literally nothing I've ever seen. No. So how long have Debbie and Diane, they were with Jiddo 
way back when he had his law office. He, and then Uncle Armin came in and started working with Jid and still is running that law practice. And Debbie and Diane are still there. So what's that span of years you think that they've been working for that law office? Probably, you know, close to 35 or 40 years. I mean, Jid, though, probably if you talk to Debbie and Diane, they would say... Jiddo brought them up as much as their parents. Well, didn't they them start up. with them when at eighteen, nineteen years, years old, right. right? And and so that type of loyalty was because Jiddo treated them like family, right? And everybody in my office, they're kind of like self-employed people. In what this has nothing to do with getting salary or not, right. but. I get good people and I let them move at their own pace. I never keep track of when they're there, when they're not there. Everybody knows what their role is and everybody gets their role done, but everybody does it within their own time structure. Right. And I've had people very loyal. I've had two employees that well, probably three people that have been with me over 25 years. Right. Well, I mean, even longer because I have memories of people that have been with you since I was really little. Yeah. So I think that's testament to the idea that people don't necessarily invest in the mission of the business as much as they invest in the leader of the business. Right. right? Because, you know, you're a CPA. You can only take that mission so far as far right. as like the work you're tactically doing. Yeah. But there was something about, and the same with the law office and, you know, all the other pieces of the puzzle that people invested in you guys. Like they love how you took care of them and showed up for them and gave them the space to live the best parts of their life, which were going to happen outside of your office with their families, right? you know, experiencing their lives. So I know I, you have people that come in, work on a Saturday morning, because that's what's convenient for their schedule, or they're, they're there in the evening or whatever. And it's just, and giving them the level of trust that they will do their part, but you don't need to micromanage that. At all. Right. 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 And that, I, that I, I think is just putting people first, mm -hmm. you know, putting the job second and people first. And right. people want to make the office a success. And and the other thing is, uh, and I definitely was true in Jiddo's office, when you have people that have been with you a long time that have a lot of respect for you, they know what your priorities are. And they carry those priorities on. So right. in terms of uh, putting clients first and in terms of helping clients with little things, I can't tell you how many things, how many situations in my office where I kind of chuckle because I was out and I come back and somebody will say, oh, so-and-so came in and this was the situation, but I just, I helped them, you know, they needed to return a mattress and I called for them and, you know, whatever it was, right. you know, a little old lady that was frustrated about something or, and, and that, you know, puts a smile on my face because it just shows what the bond is between my employees and my thought process of right. how I, 
how I think business should be done. And we do, we talk a lot in our masterminds and on the podcast about having core values and kind of a, a true north as a company. But really, I think a mistake people make with that is they write them out, maybe stick them up at the wall, on the wall, but are they embodying them in a way that, like, I'm guessing that never in your whatever, 30, 40 years of business, have you sat down and been like, okay, team, here are our core values. Are you honoring generosity? Are you on? Right. But you're just, you don't need to do that when you are the living example of it. So I want to remind people listening that you have to take those values 10 steps beyond that paper. Like, are you living it? And could your team rattle off what those values are without ever having you, you having had told them what things you value most? Right. You know, they would know how you value family. They would know, you know, what you think about having integrity. They would know what you think about generosity and faith. Like, you don't need to tell them that. No, right. Absolutely. Right. Because it's all about a way of life. Right. You know, you have to, you have to practice what you preach. Right. So, what's it been like raising me, Mom? Whew. You have a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a scotch. Uh, you've, you've been an interesting one because you've developed into the most amazing Go daughter on. I could ever expect. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess what amazes me most about you is as you were growing up, I had no idea how much you were absorbing from family mm -hmm. in terms of uh, core yeah, and foundation. <clears throat> and you always hope for that in your children, but you, you know, you don't always see it. You right. often see kids end up going rogue for one reason or another and never kind of mainstreaming again in terms of the family. And again, I'll attribute faith to that and I'll attribute a core to that because you were always helping people. You were the one in the class that was extra intuitive in terms of who was having an issue or not having an issue. Your brother was the same way. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting that you're very different, but a lot of the core stuff is very similar. Mm -hmm. And you ultimately pulled all the good value stuff that you were exposed to as a child and took it to another level, which is is incredible because you did what I didn't do in terms of saying, okay, this is these are the things that are important to me, but I also want to make sure that it benefits my life and right. my family. Right. And I I never consciously thought of, am I making enough money? Aren't I making enough money? What am I doing? I just didn't think of the business aspects of things. I never stopped and thought I was always too busy doing. Mm -hmm. And it's very impressive to me that you stop and think and, and actually spend more time formulating and creating. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Thanks. Yes. Not so bad yourself. <laughs> Did I attribute to any of your gray hairs? 
Oh, plenty. But then again, my father went totally gray when I was a freshman in college. So payback so, is a B, yeah, as you always tell me with it. my own children. That's right. right. So what's it like now watching, I just think about the kids, my kids, and like someday them growing up, which like I can't even think about makes me want to cry. What's it like watching your kids Amazing. grow up? And then have kids of their own. and Amazing. And watching, there's probably nothing more gratifying and beautiful in the world than watching your child parent. Mm. And watching the love your child has for their children. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely the icing on the cake. It's life. funny because to me there's very little more gratifying than watching your kids create bonds with your parents like with you and dad and douglas and and michael's family like that is so rewarding to me and they have a extra special bond with nana of course it drives me (laughs) marie will get up at 2 a.m in wisconsin and be like I don't want you. I want Nana. Oh, please. I'm like, fine, I'll put you on a freaking plane and send you to New Hampshire. <laughs> Be Nana's problem at 2 a.m. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so who's your favorite kid? Just kidding. Well, let's see. My favorite boy or my favorite girl? Yeah, but this is mom's <laughs> least favorite question. That Douglas I have a and I... favorite boy and a favorite girl. Yeah. B.S. Douglas is the favorite. We all oh, know Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, what do you see in society today as far as, like, where are people missing the boat with leading their kids, like, raising their kids up right? What are, aside from the obvious things like technology is out of control and whatever, what are some fundamental things that maybe even some of the values we've talked about that just seem to be not as present? Well, core value in family. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I I don't see the same core values that you saw when I was younger, um, especially in middle class, upper middle class. I think you see it more in in some of the less fortunate because faith pulls them together. And I, I think sometimes money is the root of all evil. Yeah. And so... I think the core values is an issue and time mm-hmm. because it's technology has become the babysitter. And I think there's, there's no replacement for investing your time into your child. Yeah, definitely. There's no quick fix there. Right. This is a random, just kind of offshoot question, but I talk about this a lot and I have very differing opinions than I did even when I became a mom six years ago, is college for everybody? Um, No, I don't think it is. I think as a society, we have made college the end-all, be-all. And I think college is important. It's part of the process of helping kids grow up. But I don't necessarily think, I mean, I can't, think of a lot of things I learned in college that I use every day. Mm-hmm. It's it's part of the growing up process. But if that growing up process can be dealt with in other ways, it probably 
would be more effective. Yeah. And I, I also think throwing kids into college right out of, uh, out of high school, if they're not ready, is, is not the smartest thing in the world because having some experience and then learning what you think you need to know is so much more effective than going through the motions mm-hmm. for no reason. I mean, you look at society and so many people have debt of hundreds of thousands of dollars or parents have given up, you know, what would have been their retirement money to educate their kids or so many different situations where college creates a financial stress that it it just isn't the end all be all. I think there's a, you know, obviously education equates to freedom because the the more you know, the more choices you have in terms of the direction you go in life. Yeah. But I I think we overemphasize the the traditional education. Yeah, amen. That's exactly what college was for me. Was it a one piece of the path in my growing up, but it wasn't what we paid for. It was what you know, you go to college thinking you're going to come out with some magic sheet of paper getting you the career of your dreams, when in reality, I think college will be pretty null and void, just kind of irrelevant as time goes on, if it keeps going in the direction it's going. Right. And I just, I mean, for our kids, we want to plan for the possibility that they'll go to college, but we're also not necessarily teeing it up as the end of the road. Like, I think for me, I never thought of a different path. Like, it was definitely mm-hmm. going to be college and every all roads led there. I think there'll be multiple offshoots of where they're at, and college will be one of those options based on, depending on where they are and what they want to go into. And that's a big piece of um, the direction of the Luminary Leadership Company is we want to have opportunities for people who are choosing something other than college with passion, not like, I don't want to go to college because I'm lazy or I want to sit around and play video games, but like I'm feeling called to something else or I want to go into mission work. Or, I want to start a company of my own or I want to do a gap year and ex- and shadow people in other careers so I can make that decision wisely instead of just guessing from an 18-year-old's vantage point of what I want to do with the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So it's why we're creating programs and opportunities that will facilitate that, you know, figuring out process and and encourage kids who are choosing a different path because we think that's great too. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for me? Hmm. What advice I have for for you? Mm -hmm. Maybe to keep doing what you're doing and don't lose sight of who you are. I'll take that to the bank. Absolutely. So I just am so grateful for, one, you (laughs) agreeing to do this, because I know this isn't typically in your wheelhouse of putting yourself out public facing. Yes. Yes. But also just for everything you've taught me and instilled in me and my kids and my brother and our family and a little too difficult to put into words, but hopefully you know how grateful I am. I Indeed I do. <laughs> uh, and it was cool doing this episode, which is so different than so many of the other ones, because 
we literally just in the last however long we've been talking captured the essence of why we created this company because you'll find a lot of masterminds and programs and different things that will teach you the business side of it. In fact, that's what I was doing. But there was a piece missing for me and it was everything we talked about today. It was like there is another level to life and another piece to life, the way of life like you talk about that isn't being taught or talked about or challenged in people who have it in them but aren't being told to bring it out and to make that a priority and to not lean into all the gurus and teachers who tell them how to make their next million without telling them how to make sure it's in alignment with who they're called to be or what those core values you talk about. So that's just, those are the kind of conversations that we want to weave into everything from, you know, we have our luminary leadership incubator that's for high level entrepreneurs who already found success, but it's like, man, these pieces are missing. And the good news is abundance in all forms, not necessarily just wealth, but wealth included, follows when you are in alignment with those things and you are living those core values. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to have, you know, focal programs around raising luminaries and and how do we make sure that it's not just, oh, here, give this to your kid to become a leader, but it's what you talked about today you don't get to just print out a list of values and stick it up on the wall and expect your kid to read them enough times that they take it in by osmosis and become that. How are we leveling up as parents or entrepreneurial leaders to embody the values that we want that next generation to have? Right. Kids learn what they live. Yeah. And you have to keep that keep that in mind. And and as a parent, one of the most gratifying things is when I hear from you and your brother and in describing aspects of your life, how you picked up on certain aspects of family or life or what is important just from the actions of not only dad and I, but your aunts and uncles, your grandparents on both sides, you know, you really, you guys were blessed so much and, Mm -hmm. It would be nice if that sense of family and sense of love and sense of core values could be brought back into the world in a in a way that they become priorities as opposed to just they're asides. Under, they're not even asides, they're under attack. Well, they are under attack, but that's a whole different chapter. That's part two. You you gotta get it right. <laughs> All right. Well, love you, Mom. Love you too, babe. I hope today's episode gave you exactly what you needed. And if it spoke to you, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next juicy episode. And don't be shy. I don't bite often. So come connect with me over on Instagram at Eliz Hartke. And if there's a topic or a question, a guest you want to hear on the show or an idea you have for us, just reach out and share your thoughts. We do this for you. So the more you tell us, the more we can serve. We pick a luminary each week from our social posts. So if you want to be entered into our luminary of the week drawing, then comment, save, and share the Instagram post from this episode. We want to lead and spoil you. Thank you for spending some time with me. I really do appreciate you. So tune in next time to keep building that legacy and doing the work that really matters.